Well, hello, everybody. I want to ask you to pull out the program you received when you came in. But keep it sealed. It says, do not open until instructed. So don't open it until I instruct you. Now, I realize this is kind of small. When I was doing this concept a few weeks ago, I envisioned it to be a tad bit larger than that. But that's okay. If it would have been Chris's idea, it would have probably been poster board or something, or everybody would have their own flip chart in here or something like that. But the very top blank... I want you to write your name at the top of your paper, the first blank space there. Just your first name is fine. Now, I know something about the name of the person that you just wrote down. The person whose name you just wrote lives every day with hopes lives every day with dreams and aspirations and expectations in life, whether professionally, spiritually, relationally, physically. There are hopes in that person's life. Now, something else that I know about that person whose name you just wrote down, there are some things that this person loves to do. And that's what I want you to write in the second blank. Something that you love to do. Maybe it's a talent. Maybe it's a skill. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's an interest. Maybe something that you're just really good at. Something that when you do it, it just exhilarates you. It's like Chris Bunch at a New Kids on the Block concert. It just really excites you and gets you going. Maybe you love to golf. Or maybe scrapbooking is is your thing, or going camping, or traveling to exotic places, go ahead and write down what you love to do on the second blank on your program. You want to know something that I love to do? I love to embarrass my children. I do. He's right. This exhilarates me. I love making memories that I'm going to hold on to for the rest of my life, even at the expense of my children. We were in Myrtle Beach a few years ago, and we were by the pool at the hotel. And as you can see, it's got a bridge in the center of it that crosses from one side to the next. Well, this place was jam-packed when we were there. And my daughter, Marissa... She was suntanning, facing the bridge. Keep in mind, there's a lot of people here. So I got out of the pool, and I strutted to the center of the bridge overlooking everybody, and I yelled down to her just so everyone would know that she was with me, and I just started flexing. I mean, I I just really flexed. I was shirtless. I had sunblock that wasn't rubbed in all the way. You know, it just kind of blotches and smears all over you. And I flexed like I was in a competition. I mean, everybody was staring like, who is this guy and why is he up here? I was hitting chest poses and arm poses. My daughter was mortified. She got up and she left. 
Another proud father moment was actually just a couple of months ago. My other daughter, Courtney, who's a freshman at Ball State, she called me and said, Dad, I locked my keys in my car again. I say again because this happens quite a lot. About once a month I have to break into her vehicle for her. Anyway, I go to campus. I get her car unlocked. And she asked me if I'd just drop her off at her class since she's already late. I said, well, sure I will. But you have to ride in the child seat. You see, I take her daughter, my grandbaby, to daycare every morning, so her pink car seat's always in my work truck, so there's no other place to sit. She reluctantly agreed. And as I drove off, I made sure to wave and beep at every single person that we passed. She was trying to duck, but the seat put her up too high. So as I pulled up by the library, the shuttle bus had just let off a large crowd of students. So, of course, I pulled right up to them. And Courtney had to get out of the baby seat with all these students staring at her. And with the door still open... I yelled, bye, sissy, dada loves you. (laughs) But that is what I love to do. Hey, on the third blank on your program, how about writing down a dream that you have never fulfilled? A dream that you've never fulfilled. What would it be? I mean, what's your dream? Put it down, whatever it is, no matter how crazy it seems. Winning American Idol, climbing Mount Everest, singing in a boy band. What is your dream? (laughs) Writing a book, living to see the Cubs win a World Series. Whatever it is, write down your dream. You know, when I talk to a lot of people about their dreams, a lot of us have these huge dreams. I wanted to be a rock star. But surprisingly, for a lot of people, their dreams are fairly simple. Things like, I just want to be happy. Or I just want the scales of my life to kind of tip toward the positive a little bit. I want people to always be able to get raises in their jobs. When people want to lose weight, I want them to be able to just go to bed and the pounds just fall off while they sleep. I want good things to happen to good people. Good mothers would always be healthy. Good kids would never get leukemia. Faithful spouses would always have great marriages. Hard workers would always be well paid. Couples who want children would always be able to have them three at a time if that's what their wish is. You know, those are the kind of dreams that many people carry. But in reality, something else I know about the person whose name that you wrote at the top of your page is that at one time or another, that person 
has been disappointed with life. Life has not always lived up to your expectations. You know, a few years back, a friend gave me a book. It was by Philip Yancey entitled Disappointment with God. And little did I know when they gave it to me that when the next year would roll around, I would experience one of the great disappointments in my life, being a failed marriage. You see, I know that the person whose name that you wrote at the top of your program, no matter where you are in your faith journey, I know that sooner or later you will experience disappointment with God. You know, you go to work one morning and maybe you're called in by your supervisor who informs you that you no longer have a job. Or the child that you had so many hopes for, so many dreams for, runs away or is addicted to meth or leaves his wife and three kids. I mean, I don't know what your disappointment is, but I know that we've all been disappointed by something. And disappointment has a way of always raising troubling questions. And these are troubling questions about God. Was God there? Well, if He's here, why doesn't He do something? Is He greater than my disappointment? And the truth is, there are some of you who really have a trouble believing in God at certain times. You know, I used to think that people that didn't believe in God were just being stubborn or maybe being prideful or maybe they just thought it was cool sometimes to say, eh, I, don't, I don't believe in God. But you know, one thing that I've come to believe over these last few years is that almost every time I've met an atheist and they've kind of unpacked their life experiences to me, they usually have a pretty good reason for being one. I am just going to be completely real today. I want to be honest. I'm not going to stand up here and offer religious cliches or some textbook formula for dealing with disappointments, for dealing with hurts, for dealing with fear, with dealing with whatever confusion is in your life. You know, I think one of the reasons I love the Psalms of the Bible so much is because it's just so shockingly real. For the next four weeks, we're going to hang out in four different psalms. Psalms is actually just a collection of prayers gathered by God's people over 2,500 years ago. And I believe one of the reasons the psalms is in the Bible is to teach us how to express our raw, unedited disappointment, hurt, fear, and confusion to God. I mean, God doesn't want tame, sanitized, dishonest prayers. God wants us to talk to Him authentically from our hearts. What we're honestly feeling. And sometimes, 
that involves raising your voice a little bit. Some of the psalms have even come to be known as the psalms of lament. Lament comes from the Latin word for weeping. And if you're reading through the psalms, you know when you've come to a psalm of lament because you feel like you've just found someone who's kicking, who's punching, who's screaming at a locked door. I mean, the psalms of lament are that intense. I mean, how do you talk to God when something has so completely broken your soul that you don't know if you're ever going to recover? The Psalms of Lament show us how to do that. They teach us how you can love God and feel enormous hatred toward God all at the same time. Psalm 77 is what we're going to talk about today, and it's written by a person who's probably a lot like you. His name is Asaph, and Asaph is in a season of extreme disappointment in life. And apparently, he senses that God is being unresponsive, that God is not recognizing his pain, his need in his life. Notice what it says in Psalm 77. This is verse 1. See if you've ever felt this way before. He says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. Now, Asaph doesn't tell us what the disappointment is in his life. I mean, this may be a terrible loss. It may be a life-threatening illness. Maybe it's the breakdown of a marriage or the betrayal of a friend. It might be a financial loss. We have no idea. All we know is that he's crushed by something. He's crushed by disappointment, and it has them all torn up inside. Verse 4 goes on to say, you kept my eyes from closing. So he's saying, I can't even sleep at night. I'm laying in bed and I stare at the ceiling all night long. He says, I was too troubled to speak, so I can't even talk about it. I can't even put into words my disappointment. Now I want to pause here. Because maybe you know somebody who's going through a huge disappointment in life. And what's one of the first things that followers of Jesus usually tell a person that they need to do when they're going through a time of disappointment? Pray. Right? Oh, you need to pray. Just pray. Well, evidently, Asaph was no spiritual rookie here. He's not a beginner in his faith because when disappointment hits, that's exactly what he did. Verse 1, he says, I cried out to God. I cried out to God to hear me. So he's tried prayer. Prayer has not worked. Friends, Psalm 77 here is unmasking 
some of the glib and the superficial advice that we often give one another in a time of trial, in a time of discouragement. You know, we see a person whose heart has just been ripped out by something, who's just experienced a huge disappointment in life, and what do we say to him or her? Just pray about it. You need to pray about it. Someone's got a cancer diagnosis. Just pray about it. Someone's lost a son in Iraq. Pray about it. Someone's been raped. Just pray. Someone's been left a quadriplegic after a car accident. Just pray about it. I'm sure you've never expected to hear this in a sermon on a Sunday morning, but prayer is not the first thing that you do in a crisis. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's not the first thing that you do when you wonder if there is a God who is greater than your disappointment. Asaph prays, and he doesn't sense that God is doing anything. He doesn't sense any answers, and it leads him to some haunting questions about God about who He is, about what God is capable of doing and not doing in His situation. Questions that when you read them, you're almost shocked that they're included in the Bible. Verse 7 says, Will the Lord reject forever? Will He never show His favor again? Has His unfailing love vanished forever? Has His promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has He in anger withheld His compassion? Man, those are real, raw questions that people who are disappointed with God often wrestle with. So you're not the first person in the history of the world to ever have those thoughts about God. C.S. Lewis writer of so many amazing Christian books, such as Screwtape Letters, The Chronicles of Narnia, and many others, enjoyed for many years a wonderful marriage with his wife, Joy. But she eventually died from cancer. And Lewis wrote, in the midst of his grief, in his journal, and this is what he wrote, Meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing Him, so happy that you are tempted to feel His claims upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to Him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to Him when your need is desperate. When all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. That is words of a husband in grief. And this is the question that you've maybe asked. This is the question that Asaph was asking 
Why is God silent? Where is God at? Is he going to be greater than my disappointment? And I'll tell you something. This is the, this is the honest truth. The more that I've been doing pastoral work, the more adept I've gotten at saying three words. I don't know. I don't know why some people are endlessly unemployed. I don't know why innocent African children get AIDS just from drinking their mother's milk. I don't know. I don't know why six-year-old boys get leukemia. I don't know why some daughters and sons get abused in the homes that should protect them. I don't know. And the older I get and the longer I follow Jesus, the greater sense I have of so many things that I just don't know, that I can't explain. Now there's a word in the New Testament that's used to describe these periods of God's silence. And that word is mystery. There's a fourth blank on your program And here's what I want you to write there, and I want you to be very specific. Nobody is going to see this. You could pitch it when you leave if you want. But I want you to write down the mystery in your life that you can't figure out. In other words, the thing that has most disappointed you in your life. That thing that you might never be able to understand. Or that thing that you might never be able to get over. The mystery. Go ahead and write that. So what can we learn from the psalmist about dealing with disappointment? What can we learn from this about dealing with the thing that you've just written down in your fourth box. Did you find it surprising at all earlier when I said that prayer is not the first thing that you do when you're in trouble or you're disappointed with life or disappointed with God? And are you wondering, well, what else should it be? I mean, what should you do before you pray. Let me read what you do. This is verse 11. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. So what's Asaph doing there? He's not praying. But instead, he's focusing on who God is. Because that is the place that you begin. Before you pray, make sure you have a clear picture of who God is. Focus on God before you focus on your own need. Focus on God before you focus on your failure. Focus on God before you focus on your disappointment, or your hurt, or your fear, or your confusion. You know, when we pray before we meditate on God, 
When we pray before we meditate on God, we're putting ourselves at the center of the prayer. We're saying, I'm in trouble. God, I'm in need. I'm depressed. I'm in pain. I'm disappointed. I'm hurting and I'm afraid and I'm confused. I need a miracle for my life, God. Me, me, me. Everything's about me. And you see what's happened here? Asaph began this psalm describing his pain. He says, I cried out to God, but He didn't hear me. I couldn't sleep. So it's all about Him. I'm so afflicted. I'm crying out. Nothing's happening. And so he tells himself, well, here I am in deep trouble and God's silent. He's unavailable to me. God's not doing anything for me. But in verse 11, something changes. Instead of focusing on his pain, on his disappointment, on his self-pity, he starts focusing on the God who is greater than. He starts focusing on the God who is greater than his disappointment. And he says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. And then in the following verses, he remembers another time in Israel's history when it seemed for a while that God wasn't doing anything. The Israelites are trapped at the Red Sea. They've been released from their slavery and they have nowhere to go. The Egyptians are coming. They can't go through the Red Sea. They can't go over it or under it or around it. So they're in a pretty deadly predicament at this point. And God seemed silent. And then the God who is greater than made a way for him. You know, I don't know what you wrote in your fourth box, but I do know that the starting place for you to focus is not the disappointment. And it's not even to pray, but it's to focus on the God who is greater than See, there's something that you need to know about God. This is a very, very powerful truth. But before I tell you this, I'm going to kind of set it up for you. So after crossing the Red Sea, the children of Israel, who had spent 400 years in Egyptian slavery, read the Old Testament, they wandered around the desert toward the Promised Land, in a journey that should have taken a month. Should have taken a month, but it took them 40 years. And contrary to what my fiance Loretta says, it was not because Moses, being a man, was afraid to ask directions. It was because of their disobedience. And then finally, after 40 years, the big moment's here. It's finally promised land time. They've made it. So here they are, over a million of them who've waited all their lives. I mean, picture this. It's a crowd like Woodstock, only they were sober. And they're out in the desert. And all that stood between them and the promised land was the Jordan River. That's it. 
So imagine the excitement. Imagine the anticipation as Joshua is giving them their final instructions. I mean, they've been waiting 40 years to get here. And Joshua says when they see the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, just follow them. They'll know the way. Just follow the priests. But the Israelites soon discovered that Joshua has left out one tiny but very important detail. It's harvest season, and the Jordan River is at flood stage. Any other time of the year, they could have waded across this little river, but not during harvest season. It's like raging rapids. So imagine how terrifying this looked to mothers that were holding their, the hands of their three-year-old children or to elderly couples embracing one another, getting ready to go in the direction of that, or to anybody that was disabled among the Israelites. I mean, they must have wondered, God, have you brought us to this moment just to watch us die? And I imagine there was probably some raw, unedited questions being asked of God. God, are you greater than this? And here's what happened. This is Joshua chapter 3, verse 15. Now the Jordan River is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Now I want you to notice something. The water stopped flowing upstream at a town called Adam. Scholars estimate Adam was about 19 miles upstream from where they would have crossed. So this was a miracle, but it was a miracle that they couldn't actually see happen. They didn't witness it with their own eyes. God performed the miracle upstream, out of the line of their sight. Now here's what I want you to understand about this, about God, and what you need to remember when you're going through a time of disappointment, and you wonder if there is a God who's greater than your disappointment. You need to remember this. You need to focus on the God who is at work upstream. You need to focus on the God who is at work upstream. The God that you can't see right now. The God that you don't know what He's doing right now. You need to focus on the God who is at work upstream in your life. So where is God when He seems silent and you can't see Him? And you're facing disappointment of the worst kind in your life. He's at work upstream out of the line of your sight. I mean, the Israelites could only see the problem that was right in front of them. They could only see the raging river. 
They could have concluded, well, God's absent. He's not here. They just couldn't see him because he was at work upstream for them. I mentioned earlier my divorce was one of my biggest disappointments in my life, my mystery. And no matter how hurt, no matter how depressed I was, it was nothing compared to what the children were going through. Children are the victims of divorce. And it was taking a toll on each of my kids in different ways. This was a dark time in my life. I remember one particular day I had to go to court for divorce, and the same day I had to go to court for bankruptcy too. I mean, I felt like the biggest loser in the entire world. I had lost everything. I remember standing in my garage, yelling out to God, just really upset, saying, how can I be going through all this? I've been faithful to you, and even in this storm, I've tried to honor you with my actions. I lead your Celebrate Recovery program. I help change people's lives and lead them to you, and this is my thanks I get. I have done everything that I felt you asking me to do. I give of my time freely to put together teachings, to stand up on your stage at your church in front of your people to give your word. And this is my reward? I mean, I just really wondered where God was at. He was silent to me. And I prayed to God to change things. I prayed to God to put my family back together. I prayed for me, me, me. And I remember one weekend, I took my kids to Holiday World. And we camped at Lake Rudolph, right next to Holiday World. And I was trying to have fun, even though my focus was on the disappointments that were happening in my life. And I got up one morning, really early. I was having trouble sleeping. Everyone else was still asleep in the camper. It was dark, and I grabbed some coffee, and I pulled up the Bible application on my phone. I put my headphones on so I could listen to music as I was reading. And I just went outside at the picnic table, and I just spent some quiet time in the dark with God. So I was reading as I was listening to music. And I just started to be overcome with emotion as I'm reading. And then it started to get light out. And I looked up and I watched the most amazing sunrise as I was standing there. And I was just in awe at that moment of the creator of the universe. And as I'm watching, a song begins to play. It's by a band called Casting Crowns. And it's about praising God regardless of whatever you're going through. Focusing on Him. And I did at that moment. Man, I stood up. I faced this beautiful sunrise and I thanked God for being such an awesome God. For loving me and blessing me with great kids and great opportunities in life that I've had. And for allowing me to witness firsthand a picture in the sky that He personally painted for me that very morning. Man, I felt and I saw the greatness of God that morning. And my outlook 
begin to change. You know, it's kind of funny thinking about it now, but I prayed for family being put back together. And then I got a grandchild. A soon-to-be wife, Loretta. Her son, Brandon. Her daughter, Tyra. And her grandbaby, my soon-to-be grandbaby, Adrian. So God seemed silent to me during that dark period, but God was at work upstream. Even when I felt alone. Now Psalm 77 begins with a man that's paralyzed by his disappointment. I mean, he's in a morass of painful questions about God on the brink of total collapse of his faith. But when he took himself out of the center of his prayers and focused on who God is, the God who is greater than, the God who is at work upstream, the God who teaches us things in the desert that we couldn't learn any other way, all of a sudden his perspective changed. And by the time we get to verse 13, he says, Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people. You know, there isn't a person in this room who hasn't experienced disappointment. And you know, sometimes we look at this book and it tends to be a little overwhelming at times for us. And we forget that it's a love letter from God to us. You know, we've made some wrong choices in our lives and we carry guilt about it. And then we wonder, does God really care about me? Does God really care about my situation? And sometimes we just need a little reminder. I want you to open up your programs. And I want you to read it. And I want you to soak on every word. Let God speak to you right now.
here today. You are no accident. There is a God who loves you, who is greater than your disappointment. No matter where you are in your faith journey, could be years, weeks, maybe this is the first time you've stepped into church. And even if He seems silent to you right now, and you can't see Him, and you don't feel Him, He's at work upstream right now in your life. I'm going to play that song I mentioned earlier that helped me to change my perspective, to change my focus from me to God. You can reread your letter as many times as you want, as many times as you need to. But at some point, During this song, I'd like you to just rise to your feet and sing with me. I'd like for you to focus not on your disappointment, not on your hurts, but on the God who is greater than any of them. Give praise to the God who is greater than any struggling marriage in this place or any strained relationship, or any addiction that you're going through, or any health diagnosis that maybe you've had. The God who is greater than any storm. Let's praise Him for who He is.
a way to be able to get past some of these things in our lives, these struggles that we go through, these disappointments that put us down and 
wreck everything around us. So God, we thank you for having a psalm of lament, Psalm 77, Asaph, in your word that teaches us the way that we're able to do that, the way that we're able to to get past these things. The times that we think that you're silent, we question whether you're real. Thank you for showing us that we can focus on you, the God who is greater than anything that we're going through, greater than any news we've gotten. God, we just thank you for loving us so much. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Know you're always loved in this place. See you next week. Make sure if you have it that you put your dollar into the basket so we can be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Come set your rule and reign.